Heart Classic Pearls, a podcast about stories. Here, I share my thoughts on the books that I've read. I'm your host, Classic Pearls. Welcome back to another episode of Heart Classic Pearls. Previously, we shared with you a novel by Kyung Suk Shin, translated by Chi Young Kim, which explores how family members react and respond to trauma and unreplaceable loss. In this episode, we'll be continuing this story of Chapter 1, Nobody Knows. Thinking of ways to earn money other than from farming, Mother brought a wooden malt mold into the shed. She would take the whole wheat she harvested from the fields and crush it, and mix it with water and put it in the mold and make malt. When the malt fermented, the entire house smelled of it. Nobody liked the smell, but mother said it was the smell of money. There was a house in the village where they made tofu, and when she brought them the fermented malt, they sold it to the brewery and gave the money to mother. Mother put that money in the white bowl stacked six or seven bowls on top of it and placed it on top of the cabinets. The bowl was mother's bank. She put all her money up there. When you brought home the invoice for tuition, she took money from that bowl, counted it out, and put it in your hand. Later in the morning, when you again opened your eyes, you discovered that you were lying in the platform in the shed. Where was mother? She wasn't there but you could hear chopping from the kitchen. You got up and went in. Mother was about to slice a large white radish on the chopping block. The way she held the knife looked precarious. It wasn't the way she used to thinly slice radish to make coleslaw expertly without looking down. Mother's hand holding the knife was unstable and the knife kept slipping off the radish onto the chopping block. It seemed she would cut her thumb off. Mother, wait. You grabbed the knife from her hand. I'll do it, mother. You moved to the chopping block. Mother paused, but then stepped aside. The steel basket in the sink held the languid dead octopus. There was a stainless steel steamer on the gas range. She was going to put a layer of radish on the bottom of the steamer and steamed the octopus. You were about to ask, aren't you supposed to parboil the octopus, not steam it? But you didn't. Mother arranged slices of radish on the bottom of the steamer and adjusted a stainless steel shelf inside. She put the whole octopus in and placed the lid on top. This was the way she usually cooked seafood. Mother wasn't used to fish. She didn't even call fish by their proper names. To mother, mackerel and pike and scabbard fish were all just fish. But she differentiated between types of beans, kidney beans, soybeans, white beans, black beans. When mother had fish in her kitchen, she never made sashimi or boiled or braised it, but always salted and steamed it. Even for mackerel or scabbard fish, she made a sorbet sauce with red pepper flakes, garlic and pepper, and steamed it on a plate of over rice that was cooking. 
Mother never put sashimi in her mouth. When she saw people eating raw fish, she looked at them with a distasteful expression that said, what are they doing? Mother, who had steamed skate from the time she was 17 years old, wanted to steam octopus too. Soon the kitchen was filled with the smell of radish and octopus. As you watched Mother steaming octopus in the kitchen, you thought of skate. People from Mother's region always put skate on their ancestral right table. Mother's ear was structured around the ancestral rights she held, once in spring and twice each summer and winter. Mother had to sit next to a well and clean seven skates each year, if one counted New Year's and full moon harvest. Usually, the skate Mother brought was big as a cauldron lid. When your mother went to the market and bought a red skate and dropped it next to the well, this meant that an ancestral rite was approaching. It was hard work to clean skate for the winter ancestral rites in weather that constantly, instantly turned water into ice. Your hands were small and mothers were thickened from labor. When mother made a slit, with a knife in the skin of the skate, with her red frozen hands, your young fingers pulled the membranes off. It would have been easier if they came off in one piece, but they would fall off in sections. Mother would make another slit in the fish, and the whole process would be repeated. It was a typical winter scene, you and your mother squatting by the well, which was covered in thin ice, skinning the skate. The cleaning of the skate repeated itself each year, as if someone were rewinding film. One winter, Mother gazed at your frozen hands as you sat across from her and declared, who cares if we don't skin it, and stopped what she was doing, confidently cut the fish into chunks. It was the first time that the ancestral right table had seen a skate with its skin on. Father asked, what's wrong with this skate? Mother replied, it's the same skate, just not skinned. Father's sister grumbled, you have to put care into food for the ancestral rites. Then you try peeling it, Mother retorted. That year, whenever something bad happened, someone brought up the unpeeled skate. When the persimmon tree didn't bear fruit, when one of your brothers, who was playing a stick-throwing game, got poked in the eye by a flying stick, when father was hospitalized, when cousins fought, Father's sisters grumbled that it was because mother hadn't bothered to skin the skate from the ancestral rites. Mother placed the steamed octopus on the chopping block and tried to slice it, but the knife kept slipping just as if it had when she was slicing the radish. I'll do it, mother. You took her knife again, sliced the hot radish-scented octopus, dipped a piece in red pepper and vinegar sauce, and held it out to mother. This was what she had always done for you. Each time you tried to make it in mid-air with your own chopsticks, but mother would say, if you eat it with chopsticks, it doesn't taste as good. Just open your mouth. Now, mother tried to take it with her own chopsticks, and you said, if you do that, it won't taste as good. Just open your mouth. You pushed that piece of octopus into her mouth. You tried one too. The octopus was warm and squishy and soft. You wondered, octopus for breakfast? But you and mother ate it with your fingers, standing in the kitchen. As you chewed on the octopus, you watched mother's hand as she tried to pick up a piece and dropped it. You put a piece in her mouth for her. 
Soon, she gave up trying to eat the octopus herself and waited for you to plop it in her mouth. Her hands seemed unfocused. Eating the octopus, you said. Mother, let's go to Solu today. Your mother replied, let's go up into the mountains. The mountains? Yes, the mountains. Is there a hiking trail from here? I've made one myself. Let's go to Solu and go to the hospital there. Later. Later when? When your niece's entrance exam is over. She was referring to Hyungcho's daughter. You can go to a hospital with me instead of Hyungcho. I'm fine. It'll be fine. I'm going to the Chinese doctor for it. I'm getting physical therapy too. Because they said nothing's wrong with my neck. You couldn't persuade mother. She kept insisting that she would go later. Then she asked you what the world's smallest country was. The smallest country? You stared at mother, a stranger asking you a random question. What is the smallest country in the world? Mother asked you to get a rose rosary beads for her if you ever went to the country. Rose rosary beads? Prayer beads made of rosewood. She looked at you listlessly. Do you need prayer beads? No, I just want prayer beads from that country. Mother stopped and let out a deep sigh. If you ever go there, get me a set. You were quiet. Because you can go anywhere. Your conversation with mother stopped there. She didn't say another word in the kitchen. After the breakfast of steamed octopus, you and your mother left the house. You went across a few paddies on the back of the village and stepped onto a trail in the hills. Even though it wasn't a path people used, the trail was clear. The thick layers of oak leaves on the ground cushioned your feet. Sometimes, the branches that reached into the trail hit your face. Mother, who was ahead of you, pushed the branches back for you. She let go of them after you walked through. A bird flew away. Do you come here often? Yes. With who? Nobody. There's nobody who would come with me. Mother walked this path by herself. You really couldn't say you knew, Mother. It was a dark path for anyone to walk alone. At some parts, the bamboos were so dense that you couldn't see the sky. Why do you walk here by yourself? I came here once after your aunt died, and I kept coming back. After a while, Mother stopped on top of a hill. When you came up next to her and looked where she was looking, you shouted, Oh, this path. It was a path you had completely forgotten about. The shortcut to your mother's mother's house, which you used to take when you were young. Even after they built the big road that passed through the village, people often used this mountain trail. It was the path you had taken one day when your grandmother was busy preparing for her ancestral rites, a live chicken trailing behind you on a rope. You had dropped the rope and lost the chicken. Though you had looked for it everywhere, you weren't able to find it. Where had that chicken gone? Had the trail changed so much? You used to be able to walk this path with your eyes closed. But now, if it weren't for the hill, you wouldn't have known it was the same path. Mother stood there, staring at the place where her mother's house once stood. Nobody lived there anymore. The people from that village, which once must have numbered 50 households, had all moved away. A few empty houses hadn't been torn down, but it was a village that people had stopped coming to. So, 
mother had come here by herself to look down at the empty village she was born in? You wrapped your arm around her waist and suggested again that she come to Tolu with you. Mother didn't reply and instead brought up the dog. You had been curious when you first noticed that the dog wasn't in the kennel, but you hadn't had a chance to ask. A year before, when you'd gone home in the summer, there was a chindo tied next to the shed. It was sweltering, and the chain was so short that it seemed the panting dog, unable to get out of the sun, would fall over dead at any moment. You took mother to untie the dog. Mother said that if she did, people would be too scared to walk by. How could she chain up a dog like that, especially in the countryside? Because of the dog, you argued with mother as soon as you arrived, not even bothering to say hello. Why do you keep that dog tied up? Let it roam. But mother insisted. Nobody, not even in the country, lets their dog run around. Everyone ties their dog on a chain. If you don't, it'll get lost. You shot back. Then you have to get a longer chain. If you tie it up with such a short chain, how is that dog supposed to survive in this heat? Do you treat it like that just because it can't speak up for itself? Mother said that was the only chain in the house. It was one she had used for the previous dog. Then you can go buy one. Even though you'd come back home for the first time in a long while, you drove back to town before setting foot in the house and brought back a chain so long that the dog could wander down the side yard. That's when you realized the kennel was small. You went out again, saying you were going to get another kennel, but mother stopped you, insisting there was a carpenter in the neighboring village whom she could ask to build her a new kennel. Your mother couldn't fathom paying for a house for an animal. There are pieces of wood everywhere, and all you need to do is hammer it here and there, and you want to pay money for that? You must have money rotten in your pockets. Later, when you left for the city, you gave her two ten thousand one checks and got her to promise that she would build the dog a big kennel. Mother promised she would. Back in Tolu, you called a few times to make sure that mother had the kennel built. Though she could have lied, each time she said, I'm going to, I'll do it soon. The fourth time you called and heard the same answer, your anger overflowed. I gave you the money for it and everything. Country people are terrible. Don't you feel bad for the dog? How is it supposed to live in that tiny space, especially in this heat? There's feces inside. The poor thing has stepped all over it, and you don't even clean it up. How can such a big dog live in such a small contraption? Otherwise, let him roam free in the yard. Don't you feel bad for the dog? The phone went silent. You started to regret saying that country people were terrible. Mother's angry voice came shooting across the line. You care only about the dog and not your own mother? Do you think your mother is the kind of person who would abuse a dog? Don't tell me what to do. I'm going to raise him my way. Mother hung up first. You were the one who always hung up first. You would say, Mother, I'll call you back. And then you didn't. You didn't have time to sit and listen to everything your mother had to say. But this time, your mother had hung up on you. It was the first time mother had been so angry with you since you left home. Once you'd moved out, mother always said, I'm sorry. She confessed that she'd sent you to live with Hongcher because she couldn't take care of you well enough. Mother would try as hard as she could to lengthen the call when you phoned. 
but even though she hung up first, you were more disappointed in the way she was keeping the dog. You were puzzled. How had Mother become that person? She used to look after all the animals in the house. She was the kind of person who would come to Seoul for an extended stay and three days later insist on going home to feed the dog. How could she be so clueless now? You were annoyed at your mother for becoming so insensitive. A few days later, mother called. You weren't like this before, but you've become cold. If your mother hangs up like that, you're supposed to call her back. How could you dig in your heels? It wasn't that you had been stubborn. You hadn't had time to think about it for that long. You would remember how mother had hung up, angry, and think, I should give her a call. But because of one thing or another, you would push calling her to the end of your list. Are all educated people like this? Mother snapped and hung up. Around full moon harvest, you went to your parents' house and saw there was a big kennel next to the shed. On the floor of the kennel was a soft layer of hay. Standing next to you on the hill, your mother started talking. In October, while I was washing rice at the sink to make breakfast, someone kept tapping me on the back. When I looked around, nobody was there. It was like that for three days. I felt something tapping me, as if they were calling me, but nobody was there when I looked. It must have been the fourth day as I woke up. I went to the bathroom. The dog was lying in front of the toilet. You got angry with me last year, saying that I was abusing that dog. But that dog had been wandering around the railroad tracks, covered with mange. I felt so bad for him, so I brought him home and tied him up and gave him food. If you don't tie him up, you don't know where he'll go or whether someone's going to catch him and eat him. That day, he didn't move. At first, I thought he was sleeping. He didn't move even when I nudged him. He was dead. He'd been eating well and wagging his tail the day before, but he was dead. And he looked peaceful. I don't know how he got loose from the chain. At first, he was all bones. He fattened up and, the coat, and his coat was getting shiny. And he was so smart. He would catch moles. Mother paused to sigh. They say that if you take in a person, he will betray you. And if you take in a dog, he will pay you back. I think, I think the dog went in my place. This time you sighed. Last spring, I donated money to a passing monk. And he said that this year, one member in our family would be gone. When I heard that, I was anxious. For an entire year, I thought of that. I think death came to fetch me, but because I was washing rice to cook for myself every time, he took the dog instead. Mother, what are you talking about? How can you believe that when you go to church? You thought of the empty kennel next to the shed and the chain on the ground. You put an arm around Mother's waist. I dug a deep grave in the yard and buried him. Your mother always did tell imaginative stories. On the night of the ancestral rite, father, sister, and other aunts would come over with bowls of rice. It was when food was scarce, so they would all contribute. After the ancestral rites, your mother would fill the relatives' bowls with food for them to take home. During the rites, the bowls of rice sat in a row nearby afterwards. Mother said, birds had flown in and perched on the rice, then left. If you didn't believe her, she'd say, I saw them. 
There were six birds. The birds are our ancestors who came to eat. The others laughed. But you thought you could see their footprints in the white rice. Once, mother went to the fields in the early morning, bringing along a snack for later. But someone was there already, bent over, pulling weeds. When she asked who he was, he said he was passing by and stopped to pull weeds because there were so many. Mother and the stranger weeded together. She was grateful, so she shared the snack she had brought. They talked about this and that and weeded the fields and went their separate ways when it got dark. When she came back from the field and told father's sister that she had weeded with the stranger, father's sister stiffened and asked what he looked like. That used to be the owner of that field. He died of sunstroke one day while he was weeding the field. You asked, Mother, weren't you scared to be in a field with a dead person all day? But your mother replied nonchalantly, I wasn't scared. If I'd had to weed that field all by myself, it would have taken two or three days. So I'm just grateful he helped me. After your visit, you noticed how mother's headaches seemed to be eating away at her. She quickly lost her outgoing personality and vivacity and started to lie down more often. Your mother couldn't even concentrate on card games with 101 bets, which were among a few joys in her life, and her senses became dull. One day, after she put a pot of rags on the gas range to bleach them, your mother crumpled onto the floor of the kitchen and couldn't get back up. All the water evaporated and the rags began to burn. The kitchen was enveloped in smoke, but your mother couldn't snap out of it. The house might have gone up in flames if a neighbor hadn't come in to see what was going on after catching a glimpse of the column of smoke in the air. Your sister, who had three kids, once asked you a question about your mother and her constant headaches. Do you think mother liked being in the kitchen? Her voice was low, serious. Why do you ask? Somehow, I don't think she did. Your sister, who was a pharmacist, opened her pharmacy while pregnant with her first child. Your sister-in-law babysat for the infant, but she lived far from the pharmacy. The baby lived with your sister-in-law for a while. Your sister, who always loved children, ran the pharmacy even though she could never see her baby. She could only see her baby only once a week. It was wrenching to watch her part with her baby. There couldn't have been a farewell so sorrowful as that. But your sister seemed to have more trouble with the situation than the baby. While he adapted to his life away from his mother fairly well, she drove him back to your sister-in-law's at the end of each week crying. Her tears drenched in her hands as they gripped the steering wheel on the way home. And on Mondays, she stood in the pharmacy with her eyes swollen from weeping. It was so bad that you would say, do you really need to go to such lengths to run a pharmacy? When your sister's husband was to go to the United States for two years of training, your sister closed the pharmacy, which she had had continued to run. Even after she had her second child, she said she thought living in America would be a good experience for the kids, and you thought, yes, please take it easy and take some time off. She had never once taken time off after she got married. She had her third baby in the States and then returned. Now she had to cook for a family of five. Your sister said that once they ate 200 cocoa fish in one month. 200 in one month? Did you only eat 
croakers you asked and then she said they had this was before their things arrived from america and she wasn't used to the new house yet and the newborn was still breastfeeding so there wasn't time to go to the market her mother-in-law sent a chest of baby croakers salted and gently dried and they ate the whole thing in 10 days your sister laughed and said i would make bean sprout soup and broil a couple of fish and then make courgette soup and fish when she asked her mother-in-law where she could get more she had found out she could order them online because they had eaten through the first batch so quickly she ordered two when the croakers came i washed them and counted and there were 200 i was washing the fish so that i could wrap four or five of them in plastic and put them in the freezer to make them easier to cook and all of a sudden i wanted to fling them all on the floor your sister said calmly and i thought of mother i wondered how how did mother feel all those years in that old-fashioned kitchen cooking for our big family remember how much we ate we had two small tables filled with food remember how big our rice pot was and she had to pack all of our lunches including the side dishes she made with whatever she could get in the countryside how did mother get through it every day since father was eldest there was always a relative or two staying with us i don't think mother could have liked being in the kitchen at all you were caught off guard you had never thought of mother as separate from the kitchen mother was the kitchen and the kitchen was mother you never wondered did mother like being in the kitchen to earn money your mother bred silkworms and brewed malt and helped make tofu. The best way to make money was not to use it. Your mother saved everything. Sometimes she would sell a tie lamp, a worn ironing stone, or an old jar to people from out of town. They wanted the antiques that mother was using, and even though she wasn't attached to any of these things, she haggled with people over the price, as if she had become a market trader. At first, it seemed your mother was losing, but then she'd get her way. After listening to them quietly, she'd say, then just give me this amount, and they would scoff. Who would buy that useless thing for so much? Mother would re retort, then why do you go around buying this stuff and take the lamp back? They would grumble, you'd make a good merchant and give mother what she asked for. Your mother never paid full price for anything. Most things she did herself, so her hands were always busy. She sewed, knitted, and tilled the fields without rest. Mother's fields were never empty. In the spring, she planted potato seeds and furrows and planted lettuce and crown daisies and mallow and garlic chives and pepper and corn. Under the fence, around the house, she dug holes for courgettes. In the fields, she planted beans. Mother was always growing sesame and mulberry leaves and cucumbers. She was either in the kitchen or in the fields or in the patties. She plucked potatoes and yams and courgettes and pulled cabbages and radishes from the grounds. Mother's labor showed that nothing would be reaped if the seeds were not sown. She paid only for the things that would, could not be grown from seeds, ducklings or chicks that ran around in the yard in the spring, piglets that lived in the sty. One year, the dog gave birth to nine puppies. After a month passed, mother left two behind and put six in a basket, and because the basket was full, put the last one in your arms. Follow me. The bus you and mother rode was crowded with people who were going into town to sell things. Sacks of dry pepper, sesame and black beans, 
baskets weighed down with just a few cabbages and radishes. Everyone huddled in a row and the, at the township bus stop, and passers-by stopped to strike a deal. You slipped the warm puppy you were holding into the basket with the other squirming puppies, squatted next to Mother, and waited for them to be sold. The puppies, which Mother had taken care of for a month, were plump and healthy, gentle, without any suspicion or hostility towards people. They wagged their tails at the people who gathered around the basket and licked their hands. Mother's puppies sold faster than the radishes or the cabbages or the beans. When she sold the last one, she stood up and asked, What do you want? You held onto her hand and stared at her, your mother, who had rarely asked you such a thing. I said, What do you want? A book. A book? Yes, a book. Mother acted as if she didn't know what to do. She looked down at you for a minute and asked where they sold books. You took the lead, guided Mother to the bookshop at the entrance of the market, where five roads met. Mother didn't go in. Pick out just one, she said, and ask how much it is, and come and tell me. Even when she brought rubber shoes, she made you try on each one, always ended up paying less than what you what the shopkeeper wanted. But for a book, she told you to pick one, as if she wasn't going to haggle over the price. The bookshop suddenly felt like a prairie to you. You had no idea which book to choose. The reason you wanted a book was that you wanted to read books your brothers brought home from school, but they always took the books away from you before you read them to the end. The school library had different books from the ones that Hilcher brought home. Books like Mrs. Sa Goes to the South or Biography of Xin Yun Bo. The book you chose while Mother stood outside in the bookstore was human, all too human. Mother, about to pay for a book that wasn't a textbook for the first time in her life, looked down at the book you picked out. Is this a book you need? You nodded quickly, worried that she would change her mind. Actually, you didn't know what this book was. It said that it was written by Nisha, but you didn't know who that was. You just picked it because you liked the way the title sounded. Mother gave you the money for the book, the full price. On the bus, clasping the book against her chest instead of the puppy, you gazed out the window. You saw an old, stooped woman looking at the passers-by desperately, trying to sell a bowl full of sticky rice that remained in her rubber tin. On the mountain path where you could see your grandparents' old village, your mother told you that her father came home when she was three years old, who drifted from town to town, digging for gold and coal. He went to work at a construction site for a new train station and got in an accident. Villagers who came to tell Grandmother about the accident looked at Mother, running and playing in the yard, and said, You're laughing even though your father has died, you silly child. You remember that from when you were three? I do. Your mother said she was sometimes resentful of her mother, your grandmother. I'm sure she had to do everything herself as a widow, but she should have sent me to school. My brother went to Japanese-run school, and my sister did too, so... Why did she keep me at home? I lived in the darkness with no light my entire life. Your mother finally agreed to come to Seoul with you if you promised not to tell Hyungchul. Even though she left the house with you, she kept asking you to promise this. As you went from hospital to hospital to find the source of mother's headaches, a doctor told you something surprising. Your mother had a stroke a long time ago. A stroke? You said that never happened. 
The doctor pointed to a spot on her brain scan and said it was evidence of a stroke. How could she have had a stroke without even knowing it? The doctor said, your mother would have known, given how the blood was pooled there. She would have felt the shock. The doctor said, mother was in constant pain, that mother's body was in constant pain. What do you mean in constant pain? Mother has always been pretty healthy. Well, I don't think that's true, the doctor said. You felt as if a nail hidden in your pocket had leaped out and ambushed you, stabbing the back of your hand. The doctor drained the blood pooled in mother's brain, but her headaches didn't get better. One minute, mother would be talking, and the next minute, she would be holding her head gingerly, as if it were a glass jar about to break, and she would have to go home and lie down on the wooden platform in the shed. Mother, do you like being in the kitchen? When you asked this once, Mother didn't understand what you meant. Did you like being in the kitchen? Did you like to cook? Mother's eyes held yours for a moment. I don't like or dislike the kitchen. I cooked because I had to. I had to stay in the kitchen so you could all eat and go to school. How could you only do what you like? There are things you have to do whether you like it or not. Mother's expression asked, what kind of question is that? And then she murmured, if you only do what you like, Who's going to do what you don't like? So, what, you liked it or not? Mother looked around as if she was going to tell you a secret and whispered, I broke jar lids several times. You broke jar lids? I couldn't see the end to it. At least with farming, if you plant seeds in the spring, you harvest them in the fall. If you plant spinach seeds, there is spinach. Where you plant corn, there is corn. But there's no beginning or end to kitchen work. You eat breakfast, then it's lunch, and then it's dinner, and then it's bright again, it's breakfast again. It might have been better if I could have made different side dishes, but since the same things were planted in the fields, I always made the same panchan. If you do that over and over, there are times when you get so sick of it. When the kitchen felt like prison, I went out to the back and I picked up the most misshapen jar lid and threw it as hard as I could at the wall. Aunt doesn't know that I did that. If she did, she would say I was crazy, throwing jar lids around. Your mother told you that she would buy a new lid within a few days to replace the old one she broke. So I wasted some money. When I went to get a new lid, I thought it was so wasteful and felt terrible, but I couldn't stop. The sound of the lid breaking was medicine to me. I felt free. Your mother put a finger to her lips and said, shh, in case someone could hear. It's the first time I'm telling this to anyone. A mischievous grin hovered on her face. If you don't want to cook, you should try throwing a dish. Even if you're thinking, oh, what a waste, you're going to feel so light. Of course, since you're not married, you wouldn't feel that way anyway. Your mother let out a deep sigh. But it was nice when you kids were growing up. Even when I was so busy that I didn't have time to retie the towel on my head, when I watched you sitting around the table eating with your spoons making a racket in the bowls, I felt, I felt like there was nothing else I wanted in the world. You were all so easy. You dug in happily when I made a simple courgette and bean paste soup. Your faces lit up if I steamed some fish once in a while. You were all such good eaters that when you grew, were growing up, 
I was afraid. I was sometimes afraid if I left a pot filled with boiled potatoes for your after-school snack, the pot would be empty when I came home. And there were days when I could see the rice in the jar in the cellar disappearing day by day, and times when the jar would be empty. When I went to the cellar to get some rice for dinner, and my scoop scraped the bottom of the rice jar, my heart would sink. What am I going to feed my babies tomorrow morning? So in those days, it wasn't about whether I liked to be in the kitchen or not. If I made a big pot of rice and a smaller pot of soup, I didn't think of how tired I was. I felt good that these were going into my baby's mouths. Now, you probably can't even imagine it, but in those days, we were always worried that we would run out of food. We were all like that. The most important thing was eating and surviving. Smiling, your mother told you that those days were the happiest in her life. But mother's headaches stole the smiles from her face. Her headaches jabbed at her soul and slowly ate away at it, like field mice with sharp teeth. The man you went to for help in printing the flyers is wearing old cotton clothes. Anyone glancing at him would be able to tell that he is wearing a very carefully made outfit. Even though you know he always wears old cotton clothes, you can't help focusing on them. He has already heard about your mother and tells you that he will design the flyer based on your mock-up and print them out quickly at a printing shop his business acquaintance uses. Since there aren't any recent pictures of mother, you and your siblings have decided to use the family picture that your brother posted on the internet. The man looks at mother's face in the picture. Your mother is very pretty, he says. Out of the blue, you comment that his clothes are very nice. He smiles at your words. My mother made this for me. But didn't she pass away? When she was alive. He tells you that since he was a child, he has only been able to wear cotton because of various allergies. When other fabrics touched his skin, he became itchy and got a rash. He grew up wearing only cotton clothes his mother made. In his memories, his mother was always sewing. She would have had to sew and sew to make everything personally, from his underwear to his socks. He says that when he opened her cupboard, after she passed away, he found stacks of cotton clothes that would last him for the rest of his life. That his outfit today is one he found in that cupboard. What did his mother look like? Your heart aches as you listen to him. You ask the man who is remembering his beloved mother, Do you think your mother was happy? His words are polite, but his expression tells you that you've insulted his mother. My mother was different from today's woman. Thank you for listening to Heart Classic Pearls. Please check out our Instagram at classic.pearls. We'll be back with more episodes in the following weeks. Tune in for more. This is your host, Classic Pearls, signing off.